Hello and welcome to this episode of Mostly Nothing. In today's episode, we will be speaking to Johnny Crowder, the founder of Cope Notes. We will look into his journey and the inspiration behind his project and delve into stigma around mental health. We look into the changes the brain endures and the tricks it plays on us. We exchange a few of our current reads and look into mental health medication and therapy before ending on decision making and the importance of knowing when to make these. For everyone listening, we hope you enjoy. Please check us out on social media, including Instagram, and give us a rating and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Mostly nothing. We're recording? We are, indeed. Amazing. It's official. <laughs> So hello, Johnny. Uh, we are hello. so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome to Mostly Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you have so much passion um, for when you do your talks and mm. you, you really, you use it. And so much love has also gone into your company, Cope Notes. How, how did this journey begin um if you wanted to go into a bit of how it began and um of you wanting to basically rebrand the global mental health conversation <laughs> i mean that's such a broad question I will, I will say that for me it's all personal so mm. um so little of it feels like business to me i know that it's technically a company but um it's really just me trying to solve the problem that i faced growing up and that's if someone's listening to that and thinks it's unique, it's not. Like every entrepreneur, or I shouldn't say every, but most entrepreneurs set out to solve a problem that they experienced and they looked out there for solutions, couldn't really find something that scratched their itch. So they wanted to create one. And uh, I grew up, you know, I'm a, I'm a survivor of suicide and abuse. I grew up with multiple mental health diagnoses. I was in treatment for 10 years and throughout a childhood and upbringing like that, you try pretty much everything you can get your hands on to feel better. And most things that I found just left me feeling like they didn't really do what I needed them to do. And I don't mean people, like I wasn't relying on, I shouldn't rely on individual people to save me or change my life, but I would turn to these tools and feel like they did, you know, I feel like maybe some had a good intention but weren't really effective. So my whole goal with advocacy and with running Cope Notes is to hopefully be, you know, that 10% of someone's wellness plan that can be there when they need it rather than promising to be a hundred percent and then under delivering, you know? Definitely like great job, man. I, I, we were checking your website. We were reading your uh, brochure and all of that. And, and let me say, what a, a great idea. We love the name. We were just talking about it earlier. And um, we absolutely love the name, how it looks, the concept, you know, really, really, really nice job. Definitely. And, and also, I mean, from what I saw, you've um, sent out half a million text messages. We're almost there. Yeah, we're at wow. like 400 and yeah, oh, yeah. thousand. Half, half a million. I'm really, I know we're going to hit it by the end of the year for sure. So that's wow. going to be a nice landmark. We're trying to get to 100 countries right now. Um, we have nine, we have users in 92 countries, but it's close. It's so hard to reach other, like we shot up initially, um, to like 70 something and then actually getting to 92 has taken a long time. So we're, we're shooting for a hundred for sure. 
Oh, uh, you'll get that, I'm sure. Amazing. Yes, everyone, please go check out Cope Notes. Um, and I actually, you know, heard how the, you know, story, um, the idea, I guess, arose. And it was you um, actually sticking sticky notes um, in your bedroom. And I, yeah, it, it really hit me hard because it's something that I do and I continue it's something that I've been doing so long for the exactly the same reason and it it, it helps me cope so much I can't explain like I'm yeah. sure when Diego first came yeah. into my, yeah, my true. room I know just... she has like stick notes everywhere with these messages you know these phrases or these quotes um and it, but but it, it kind of works you know because you wake up in the morning and the, the first thing you see is is like let's say positive messages and and it does it does make a difference you know i really i really understand how it could be useful maybe maybe i should start doing it too because i think <laughs> subscribe I, to cope notes. I, I think probably everybody in the world has had a moment where uh they drive past a billboard and it mm. says the right thing at the right time, or they get a text message from a friend that says the right thing at the right time, or, or a song's on the radio and it says the right thing at the right time. So this is just that every day. Like we've all yeah. had moments like that, but they're, they're, you know, it's only once in a while you get something that really rocks you. And we're trying to raise the likelihood so that that happens more often. Yeah. And we read that you actually studied psychology. You have a psychology de degree. So I I'm I'm super interested in that because I've just started studying psychology literally this week. I just decided to change career and Heck yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what I'll be doing in a few years. And I guess I wanted to know a bit like what kind of stuff did you learn during your studies that you then applied with, with Cope Notes, which kind of ideas you got and how that helped you with, with, um, yeah, with Cope Notes. Yeah, one. So it's funny. I wish I could say that I wanted to go to school for psychology because, um, you know, I was just noble and I wanted to go serve, but really I wanted to figure out what was happening in my own brain and then how to, how to help other people. And also part of me wanted to prove my doctor wrong. Um, cause I was diagnosed with all these conditions and I was like, screw you. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go to school and learn about what I actually live with. And then I'll come and rub it in your face. Bravo. Um, <laughs> but he was actually right. And I was wrong, egg on my face. So I obviously continued taking psychology courses because I realized that it's not as easy to, you know, growing up, you would see like, you know, read this one book and it'll change your life or, or sit through this one webinar and it'll change your life or take this one pill and it'll change your life. And I kept looking for that one quick, easy thing. And, um, if you guys have seen my Ted talk, you will know that that was a fruitless endeavor. Um, I didn't find anything quick. And I think, um, there's, there's a little bit that I talk about in my, um, Ted talk about the way that your synapses interact with each other in your brain. So I'm and studying it's right now. <laughs> stuck with me forever. Like I didn't know that if you think a thought more often, your brain starts defaulting to it. I thought, like, wow, I'm thinking that negative critical thought about myself a lot. I never realized that there were parts of my brain that were growing closer together because my brain is lazy and it wants to conserve as many calories as possible. So I always thought like, why don't I just snap out of it? Why don't I just stop thinking that? I didn't realize that my brain was defaulting to it because it was physically set up to yeah. like prioritize that text or that uh, thought. So I honestly think learning that there are physical changes in your brain that happen every time you think something, it sounds horrifying, but it's also really empowering because 
if your brain changed itself to think all these negative thoughts physically, it can sure as heck change itself in the opposite direction. It just, I think it taught me that you're not stuck with the brain that you have and that's the way it is forever. If it's changing all the time, that means it can improve all the time. Yeah, and actually a couple of days ago, I was exactly reading about that with, with in the case of synapses, the ones you use the most, they tend to become more effective and the ones you don't use just become in, can become totally ineffective over time. Mm. And, and I guess that works with thought patterns. Um, and yeah, we were listening to your TED talk and you, you talk a lot about how you had to interrupt like your old thought patterns. And um, yeah, it makes total sense from a, a biological point of view even. And, uh, and it's, it's like you say, learning those things about how a brain, it will really allow us to, let's say, you know, learn these tricks and how to change it. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah. And I think as you also, you know, mentioned that, you know, isn't, there isn't really like that eureka moment. Um, and instead it's all, you know, all that hard work that goes into, you know, those little, little habits that then build up and to the outside world that will look like, you know, you've just had that moment and all of a sudden everything's okay. You know, they don't see that, that, that work that's gone in and, you know, all those, again, little habits. I'm reading this um, book called Atomic Habits right now. Have you heard about it? It's like a international bestseller. I've just started it. I'm really excited. It looks, it's really, really interesting at the moment. So, yeah. Previously, you were reading the Krishnamurti uh, book. I'm sure Johnny also knows. I'm taking notes. (laughs) I just got this uh, app where you can uh, listen to audiobooks through your local library. So I have been listening to audiobooks and I'm adding. So first one was Atomic Habits. Second one was... What are you doing with your life? Oh, yes. That's it. Awesome. Um, And wait, I need to give you another recommendation. I read a few pages and I found it very, very What did I read before that? Um, You're reading Sam Harris, Waking Up? Sam Harris, Waking Up. Yeah, Sam Harris. Yeah, I enjoyed that, actually. That was that was really nice. Really nice. And yeah. there's also a really great book, a psychology book, actually, called... Um, that. This was the second part of it. Um, it's called um, Staying Okay. Mm. But the first one is called I'm Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's, it sounds really, really strange. And I don't know, this book spoke to me. Like, I, I was walking past this bookshop um, one day, and there were all these books outside. And this book just just spoke to me and just said, pick me up. And, you know, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know, it just, it was, it's bright yellow and it just says staying okay. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I bought it and I started to read it uh, when we were on, um, on holiday in Portugal, Portugal and I couldn't believe it. Like those pages were speaking to me, <laughs> but it's, it's incredible. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really incredible human, human behavior and really, ah, oh, it's just, yeah. Read, no, I'll have to read, read, read those. Um, I'll have to read that one for sure. But speaking about apps, I don't know. There's an app that's really come in handy for me. It's like audiobooks. I can't remember. There's one called like Cobbler or something. But they basically shorten um, the book into a very concise like... I don't know, 20 minutes. And it's it's really brilliant, actually, because I, I listened to a few on my free trial. And it's absolutely amazing because I, I, I tested it by doing it with books that I had already read um, mm. to see if it had was Smart. giving me the information that I wanted and got from it. And absolutely, absolutely. And it's such a smart and like efficient way to just learn. I show me that app, but I totally forgot the name, to be honest. I think I there's think. a few apps doing it now, well, probably. but the, I think there was like Cobbler or something. 
or Klubler, yeah. something. It just like that. helps you getting the gist of the book in like twenty minutes. So it's, but it's it really, really no, but it really great. like goes. Somehow it just like brings um, every chapter to a really nice, like Concise. solid. Yeah, and then and it's yeah, it's really nice that like you know while you're traveling. Have you been uh, reading anything recently? So I tried to read uh, The Normal Christian Life by Christian Nee, or no, Watchman Nee, I think his name is. And mm. it was, so my buddy encouraged me to read it. And I tried to read it years ago um, and it was so dense and I didn't understand it. And it was like very shortly after I met Jesus and was like learning about faith. So um, I didn't understand a word of it. And then I figured like now it's a few years later and and I've learned more. So maybe it'll be easier. And my buddy encouraged me to read it and I tried to read it and I still don't understand <laughs> any of it. So if anyone is listening to this podcast and understands that book, shoot me an email. I, <laughs> there's some kind of block. I consider myself to be fairly Literally, smart. I've read smart. some books. I know what words mean, but there's something about that book that is just so perplexing. So that is... That's the book that I've most recently tried to read. Mm, that's yeah. a bit like sometimes, you know, reading Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I just finished 12 Rules for Life. Actually, have you read 12 Rules for Life mm -hmm. by Peterson? Okay, yeah, that's another book. 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. Um, some bits can be a bit tricky. It's yeah. a book it that takes, I had to read it about quite a bit times. of attention. Yeah. I listened to, to the audiobook. Um, <sighs> he speaks, is a, there's a lot, a lot um, about... Um, Christian stories um and I think yeah, you'd yeah. find it very very interesting biblical stories biblical stories and he 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 relates it to how we um you know can grow as 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 a species and how you know we can really yeah. just be the best um we can be and it's for me yeah. he absolutely I don't know helped me out he really helped me out he really really did it, it's really interesting the way he looks at biblical stories and how if tries to find some kind of fundamental value in these stories, what they actually mean. I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, his work at all in that regard? No, I am I have a page full of notes from this podcast look, already. But, I'm just learning. This is no, this school is right now. This we stopped great. doing the podcast. We went to school. <laughs> but look, check Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson. biblical <laughs> stories. It's I, going yeah. to he was he's, blow He your sold mind. out stadiums. At, okay. And he would he would speak to like hundreds of people on like the first line of Genesis. The first line. The first line. For two hours. <laughs> <laughs> like it's insane just he has all um his lectures online as well um and yeah just on youtube type type it in you know lectures um you could yeah adam and eve you know whatever you want to and he goes into it in in so oh, it's it's just it's poetic but it's <laughs> she really likes peterson i don't know um, if you can I tell by now she's a, she's um, a bit yeah. of a fan <laughs> i like him a lot too to yeah. be honest but not not to that level <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I think you'd, out, yeah, yeah, you'd really enjoy his stuff. Absolutely. I want to. I actually want to go into a bit of. Um, I actually watched. There was a video you did speaking about like stigma and labeling. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I just really want to like have a conversation about that because, do you know? I don't know. Personally, I think I, I still find it difficult um, to speak about mental health. I, I think I do and. Yeah, it's just, it's so interesting um, what you had to say. Maybe you want to quickly sum up your points of um, that talk. 
Well, I haven't watched that talk in a while, but I do remember the the point of it, the sentiment. And I think a lot of people don't talk about what they're experiencing or they don't even acknowledge what they're experiencing um, because they associate that acknowledgement with feeling weak or feeling dumb or feeling uh, like a freak or something. And that's because of social stigma. So I know people who check all the boxes for clinical depression, who would never, ever, ever even admit that they're sad. They would never say those words. And there's something in them that's blocking them from saying out loud, I am sad right now. And maybe it's because they don't want to be labeled. Maybe it's because they have their own idea of what depression looks like and they don't fit that. But Kind of the way I picture it, this isn't in the talk, but it's just off the top of my head right now. Imagine uh, if I fell down the stairs, like a huge flight of stairs, and I broke my ankle. And you guys are at the bottom of the stairs. And I try to walk on it, and I can't walk. And then it's swelling up and stuff. And you're like, I think you broke your ankle. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've seen broken ankles. Broken ankles bend this way. But if you'll notice, my ankle has bent this way. So I don't think, uh, thank you very much for your concern, but my ankle is not broken. A fall down the stairs is not going to cripple Johnny Crowder. So there's this sense of um, pride and resistance because of stigma. And there's also a reluctance to acknowledge the fact that we're human. Like your body, dude, if you fall down a flight of stairs, you're probably going to break your ankle. I mean, it's not because you're weak or, or your, you know, your body is ill-equipped. It's because you fell downstairs and the same thing happens. Like people get fired or lose, lose a loved one. Um, and then they're like, Oh, I'm not depressed. And it's like, dude, you, you went through one of the hardest things anyone will ever face. Like it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. You are just experiencing something that deserves your attention. I think a lot of us look the other way because, you know, public images of people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and OCD. Um, they look like, you know, serial killers or people who are, who shoot up schools or people who rob convenience stores. And um, I have not really seen, I work with a lot of people who are living with mental illness on a daily basis. And none of those people fit anything like those profiles. I think the more we talk about stigma and mental health and mental illness, the, the more that we can invite other people to participate in the conversation. Cause hopefully one day in my lifetime, we'll get to a point where someone can say, Oh, schizophrenia. My aunt has schizophrenia mm -hmm. or, Oh, depression. Yep. I was depressed for like seven years after college, just being able to relate to each other on that level. And I think in general now, I think we, we really going into in, in that direction. I feel people are slowly getting more comfortable with sharing uh, mental health issues. That, that's my perception, even as a, you know, a nurse working in hospital, I do find it very different than what it was, you know, 10 years ago uh, when I was studying. So I think we are definitely making some um, progress. Absolutely. And it's uh, just well, a, and also because of people like you, you know, yeah. stuff you do, obviously. So it's that ripple effect, you know, yeah, it, it, it really makes is. A difference. Yeah. You, you know, you see people speaking but, about um, it and you think, yeah. Yeah, but it's so true, and and even worse is a lot of people. It's it's not even like that that they just want to deny they're depressed. It's some people don't even know. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's you know what I mean. It's like it's weird. It's you get into this state where you just assume that's normality, 
and that's how oh, it's yeah. supposed to be. And then you, you don't understand that there's something wrong with you. And that's, you know, it's the trick that our mind plays on ourselves and, and getting out of it. It's, uh, it can be, you can, it can be so hard. There's, there's people depressed for, you know, decades. It's, um, it's, 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 yeah, it's pretty crazy, really. You make um, a good point. I think about, uh, when I drive my car, hmm. so I, my old car, I used to drive an Altima, Nissan Altima and the dash alert lights you know the ones that say like oh, your tire's flat or you know your engine light is on or whatever my tire sensor was broken for almost the entire time i had the car it was just like faulty from day one and that means i never knew whether my tires were flat or not because my <laughs> sensor was broken and I think you bring up a good point. There are some people who are, you know, they're driving and there's sparks behind their car and they're, they're all four tires are blown. They're like, my tires aren't blown. There, there is that personality type, but there's also the personality type who's like, my sensor's not on. So my tires are probably fine. And it can be difficult to communicate to those people like, hey, maybe pull over and just check your tire pressure just in case. It's, it, it's not supposed to come off as an insult. But sometimes people can take it personally. I know I have in the past, and it, it's uh, that's a perfect um, analogy, and <clears throat> it, it makes it makes it so tricky because if someone doesn't know he's depressed or admits he's depressed, he, it's impossible to get out of the depression because you you need to want to be treated, and so so to do that you need to face that you are depressed, obviously. So it, that's the yeah hardest bit. Maybe we wanted to go a bit into psychedelics, no? Maybe you want to just make it. Yeah, I, I'm curious, actually. Have you ever, you know, I don't, uh, by the way, if you don't want to enter it, that's fine. But have you ever done psychedelics or what is your knowledge about it? Um, do you want to, you know, just go a bit into that? Because I'm, I'm yeah, so, very curious. Well, this surprises a lot of people. I've, I'm 100% clean and sober and I've never even tried drugs or alcohol or smoking anything in my entire life. Wow. Never once ever. But I think the more that I've learned about, um, so I grew up in a home that had drugs and alcohol in it. So when you see drugs and alcohol and the way it impacts people's behavior, you immediately go, oh, I never want to touch that in my whole life. Um, because you have a front row seat to what it does to people. Drugs and alcohol change people. And so Ever since day one, I never wanted to touch it. And then around college, everyone was like, come on, man, are you serious? You want to have a drink? Come on, man. And, um, I, and I tour in a band. So there's lots of drugs um, in like the rock and metal world. So everyone's like, come on, you never tried cocaine or whatever. So there's a lot of people like encouraging me to try drugs. And I remember um, in high school, I wrote a paper on so I was in the IB program, which is this like fancy, like pre-college program where you have to write an extended essay and it takes an entire year. It's like writing a thesis. And uh, my paper was on how drugs and alcohol affect the brain. And I was fascinated to learn about, because a lot of people think like, well, wow. yeah, a couple of drinks and oh yeah, well, I just smoke weed every once in a while. And it was absolutely mind-blowing to actually pour through all of this data and research and realize that everything we do has a discernible effect on our brain. And I just thought, man, like, dude, coffee affects our brain. Chocolate affects our brain. Like at a certain point, anything, you know, what color 
sunglass lens you wear when you're outside. Like yeah. everything affects your brain. So at a certain point, you got to draw the line. But pretty much when I when I grew up around drugs and alcohol, I didn't want to touch it. But then when I actually went to school and started studying psychology, I was like, there's no freaking way I'm putting any of that in my brain. <laughs> Really? Wow. Yeah. It's actually rare to find someone like you so, Absolutely. so well then. Yeah, it's very rare. But, um, I don't I don't think yeah, I mean a few people I wow. Yeah, especially in today's world. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, you know, hands down to you. But fair enough, you can um, you know, you, you can get <laughs> to the same place in terms of enlightenment. But this is the thing without this, I think I always say any of this. That. It's in us. That's anyway. the goal. That's the I think that's the absolute goal is to be able to, you know, be that high on life you know I, I really do and I think there are certain things that can allow you to experience that in almost a shortcut way in sense and for some people it might be the only way they experience it you know in a lifetime mm. um because it takes a, a certain skill a certain you know mastery it you know that commitment it, it does it does and that's why you know there's not many people um like like you that can say that they have never touched you know any substances like that it's it's a very very i think yeah, but, small majority but regarding the idea of it being a shortcut do you know what maslow say you know maslow the famous uh psychologist mm -hmm. he once met with timothy leary and he was against psychedelics and he asked them like why would you take a lift to the top of mount everest <laughs> well you would die that's, probably like if no, you but that's the thing that's why interesting he, that's why he was idea. against it because yeah. he was like you can get there anyway through hard work and co commitment and you know mindfulness meditation whatever you want to call it but uh the and thing with psychedelics because it can take you there so quickly that for some people like you say you it can be overwhelming because if you haven't trained enough to go to the top of mount everest and <laughs> suddenly ascent there you know it, it it can it can go wrong and that's why we really advocate that it's not for everyone and you know fair enough if you never felt like you need to do it and you still obviously you know you got to a good place in life you overcame a lot without a need for that kind of drugs so it was, enough. Well done. it was honestly a big challenge when I was first diagnosed and my psychiatrist was like, you need to start taking medication. Um, and I was like, no, I don't take medication. I had, I had a real chip on my shoulder about it. But when you look at the stats for like just therapy alone versus therapy supplemented with medication, um, the success rates are way higher for if you actually take medication with your uh, treatment regimen and Honestly, looking back, when I first started taking medication, I thought like, this is, so I had to take antipsychotics. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, I was feeling down and I needed a little ice cream to pick myself back up. It was like, I was experiencing debilitating hallucinations and psychosis. And in school, I was learning that there's a chemical imbalance in your brain and these are regulatory drugs to help your brain recalibrate and it's very carefully you know they i mean doctors whole jobs is making sure that i'm not taking too much or too little or the wrong dose or the right dose or whatever so honestly when i started taking medication i thought oh no i'm gonna have to take medicine forever and now looking back so i've been off of medication for almost four years and it it surprises me because I thought that it was a forever thing. But then I think about it now as like, um, you know, in the ankle thing, you know, when you break your ankle, you 
have to wear a cast. A cast. And that's the way it is. <laughs> and then after that, it's not like you wear a cast forever. You know, you wear a cast for a while and then you get it off and you do physical therapy and then you try to walk on your own. Then you maybe try to jog on your own. Then you try biking. And eventually you get back to the point where you can use your leg and your, your foot again. Maybe it's not exactly how it was before, but you still don't have to wear the cast forever. So for me, um, even when I started taking medication, my doctor never said this could only be for a while. And I didn't know that was an option that I didn't have to be medicated forever. And I'm very thankful that I'm not anymore, but it took over a year to wean off of the medication. Like from the time I decided that I wanted to start reducing my dose until the time I took my very last antipsychotic was like 18 months. Did you find the withdrawal process like really hard in terms of the effects in you? Yeah, it was yeah. freaking, it was definitely the, the, you know, I'm tempted to say the most difficult season of my life, but I have not had a, a really um, bright and sunny life up until this point. So I think that there's a lot of competition for that title, but it was, de it was, it was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done was live through 18 months of gradual withdrawal. It affected every part of my life, my sleeping, my eating, my communication, my vision. Um, everything yeah. that I did was, was derailed for a couple years. Looking back, thousand percent worth it, but golly, it was hard. But to be fair, I was, um, I was on max dose of five different medications when I started weaning down. So I was like very, very heavily medicated, which is why it was so difficult for me to come off. Yeah. And I guess that's really the worst part for, for most people that take these drugs for a prolonged uh, period of time, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and obviously, well, the side effects, it doesn't affect everyone the same way. And I guess that, that's why some people have such a hard time coming out of it. And, and it takes a lot of strength, you know, power of will to actually say, okay, I'm going to, <laughs> yeah, win this. It's, um, it's, it's very tough. It's very tough. But like you said, these drugs can definitely be, be useful. And, and that's what the studies show. Uh, and you know the biology that supports it, so it's not a case where we can just say, "Oh, yeah, that this is this is the devil. Don't don't touch it," because it does have its uh, mm. you know uh, benefits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, I think this is why um, I don't know. You're, you're probably like you've probably seen that we're like uh, pretty much like we're not. I don't want to say obsessed, but we're very fascinated by like the research in psych psychedelics, mainly because mm. of a lot of the current and very promising research um, that's currently um, going on and Happening, yeah. very recent studies as well um, showing the benefits of just one a simple um, trip of psilocybin um, can, um, what was the stats of it? Well, in some, giving in some people it uh, reduced their depressive symptoms for up to six months. Not, not to everyone in the study population. Mm -hmm. so, some of them, let's say after three months, maybe they were feeling depressed again. With all the individuals, it took like two weeks to feel depressed again. So obviously it's, yeah. not, it's not super effective for everyone. But still on like 50% of the people, they said after one year, um, they had the depression got better, basically. And that's with a single dose. So obviously, if you can turn this into some kind of, uh, you know, maybe every six months uh, appointment. Oh, sorry, there's a, an ambulance. 
Someone's in trouble. They came to get blood. There's a there's a blood <laughs> lab right next door. Um, but like I was saying, obviously it's helping a lot of people in in with just a single dose. So obviously, obviously, if we could structure a program where we give it, let's say maybe every six months to someone, or depending, you know, maybe you just you need it every three months, it could be amazing because there's those withdrawal effects don't exist at all, basically. Yeah. And it's not addictive. Most people that go through such a trip, they actually say, you know, I need a break because you feel exhausted. You know, I don't want to go back to it. So it's not that it doesn't give you that kind of feeling. Oh, I need another one next week. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why we think it's so promising. And that's why we got so interested uh, in it as an alternative, basically, to yeah, classical yeah. drugs. It's fascinating to learn about. So I'm just so everyone's aware, you guys and listeners, I am not super versed in this area, mm-hmm. but I do think that it is interesting that, so if you look at diets, for example, like you can take two people um, and put them both on a low carb diet and their bodies react completely differently because each body has their own, you know, ratio of different vitamins and minerals that they need and um, different like undiagnosed or even undiagnosable blood conditions or their digestive system operates differently. Like there's so many different factors. Variables, yeah. So Too many. when I look at um, anything that you, honestly, anything, because I was going to say anything that you like eat or drink or ingest, but honestly, I love some bands that have changed my life. Like their music has changed the course of my life and brought me so much joy. And there are other people who despise those bands and those bands have never done anything good for them. It's the same band. It's the same song. Um, and I think that's kind of where I get with um, talking about stuff like this is for me, I took um I tried a few different medications before I found the ones that were actually helping me work on myself. And honestly, other people, the ones that I took first were the most effective across the board. So the ones, the first few that I took were the ones with the highest success rate and it just didn't work for me. It's not that the medication sucks. It's that for my, something about my body or something about my brain didn't click with it. So I had to switch to something else. And it's really in a perfect world, there would just be like one, you know, take this one vitamin every day and everything will be perfect, but our bodies are too different. So that's why there's so many different medications. Cause for, for me, I tried a bunch and then found a bunch that worked and it's the same for everyone else. It's just trial and error. And that can be really frustrating. <laughs> So that's why we need more studies. I'm really curious to see, let's say, how effective psychedelics can be over a period of five to 10 years or even mm-hmm. 20 years, because we don't have any data on that. And obviously, well, yeah. it's going to take time. But but we'll see. The initial results are obviously promising, but yeah, we need, we need they need more time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll be around. <laughs> we'll be around to see how it goes. I'm actually excited for the future in that. Like but we I, said, fish through everything. Man, I find it amazing because you've been playing. So how long have you been um, with your band? So I've been playing music for um, 12 or 13 years and then, or like playing, I mean, playing publicly like concerts. Um, but then my current band that I'm with now, we started playing shows in 2014. Wow. And because for me, it's because I, I used to play in bands. I also, I play a bit of guitar. And I remember I used to drink a lot 
when I was in the band and going to gigs. Mm-hmm. And now I see, I just gave in so much to peer pressure in a certain way. And that's why I'm so impressed that you, even in that environment, because I kind of know how it, it can go a bit rowdy sometimes and you still, mm-hmm. you know, didn't want to engage in any of that and doing anything. You just, you know, that's, that's really, I found that really, really impressive because in my case, I didn't have the same kind of power of will in those um, situations. And I, I, I regret it a little bit today. I think I, I, I did drink a bit too much in the past. Dude, I think for me, it has a lot to do with, you know, I don't consider myself like any more strong willed mm. than other people. I think it's just, I'm very um, like analytical when I witness something. So I, I like learning by example. So if I see somebody do something, I can discern what happened in that situation and cross-reference it against all of my prior knowledge of similar situations and then decide where to go from there. So when you tour the band and uh, you see some nights they get on stage and they crush it. Every single riff is perfect. Their sound is amazing, super professional. And then some nights are really sloppy and they're, you know, the kick drum is off and they're, you know, dropping guitar picks and you're like, what's happening? And then you realize that it's the nights that they're drinking, that they are performing poorly. It doesn't take a lot of willpower or a, a, a degree in anything to think like, wow, I mean, A plus B equals C, like I'm not trying to drink if it's going to affect my performance. And I've just kind of looked at that across the board, like all of the things that I haven't done, I haven't done because I, I, I guess in a way I'm fortunate to have witnessed its negative effect on someone else's life so that I didn't have to experience it firsthand. Um, so I feel, like I said, I don't feel super smart. I don't feel super strong for having done it. I just think maybe it's just a product of like tr- actively trying to be yeah, be attentive, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know what you mean, especially in nights when you drink a bit too much, you go on stage and you think you're playing amazingly. Yeah. And then the next day someone shows you a recording and you're like, oh my god it's like it's true it happens you you have no clue when you drink a bit too much so what you said make makes total um sense one thing that's always fascinated me about drugs and alcohol is that people will say so uh one of my band members in my old band um started doing cocaine and he said i'm only doing like i know my limits i know i'm doing the amount that will give me energy for the show and I'm not taking any more than that. And I, I hear friends who say like, well, I'm going to drink, I'm going to go drink tonight, but I'm not going to drink so much that I can't drive home. And inevitably they're kind of sloppy. And then their friend has to take their keys or whatever. And the pattern that I'm seeing is people are saying like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have just enough of this substance that affects my decision-making process so that I can make a decision not to have anymore. And it's like, wait, your 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 decision-making faculties are compromised by using the thing. So how are you going to be able to draw the line and make that decision if your ability to make decisions is compromised? So I have some friends who actually do this thing where they say, when I go out, I decide before I go, I can have one drink and enjoy it and that's it. So they they decide when they're sober their limit so that they don't have to decide their limit on the fly when they're inebriated. And it's incredible the difference that it's made on their lives. Like not only financially, you save a lot of money, but 
for for how many times they've said like someone's like anyone want another one and my friend's like no i'm good i already had mine and just setting that limit before you go is kind of like um when people have uh spending problems where they spend a lot of money i watched a documentary one time about someone just withdrawing cash uh and then bringing cash so they're not using a card they say they go to an atm and say i withdrew 40 dollars. i can spend 40 dollars at the mall whatever fits in that $40 I can spend and deciding when you're not in a purchasing situation means that the real you is deciding, not the you that's being influenced by marketing. It's fascinating. Absolutely. I actually uh, started yeah, doing that um, for a while, taking out my like weekly budget with, by cash. You know, it's actually nice because when you, when, and as well, when you see cash go, like when you see the physical thing just be passed on it's like it hits you different it's like okay, it's yeah. actually going but now tapping your phone tapping your wrist and they don't spy on you don't, you don't you use cash they're not spying and they're not spying. why are you buying <laughs> <laughs> it's true imagine You're off the grid. now even with google pay so now even google knows what i'm buying and mm-hmm. on a daily basis on, on the supermarket you then. Uh, right it's it's crazy when you think about it so. yeah but man what's the name of your band it's actually, we haven't asked you yet. So my band is called Prison, Prison. like a jail, and it's uh, so it's a very like hard metal, uh, yeah. band, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's that's so cool. I used to be in, in, into that kind of band when I was a bit younger. Then I don't know. With time, I started being a bit more interested in um, jazz and blues. I became a bit I don't know, too mellow, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's, but I definitely I used to listen to super fast music um in like high school and college and then i started listening to a lot slower music in my 20s but then now during quarantine i really like listening to fast music because i've been inside for so long that listening to fast music gives me energy so it's funny i'm like revisiting the super heavy stuff that i listened to when i was younger speaking of which how's how's everything out there how's how's so you're in quarantine i mean uh, kind of uh, Florida. So I live in Florida in the U S mm-hmm. and it is, um, it's like <laughs> so the U S is a mess right now. If <laughs> listeners don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Florida is like a worse United States. Like it is, uh, it is a even more ridiculous part of the U S and, um, no one's really abiding by any of the COVID, uh, oh, so it's just like protocols. Well. Like just this past week, there were 70,000 new cases a day, every day for a week or something nuts. It was like we had we had a half a million cases in the last week, half a million new cases. And that's more than in the first three months of COVID. And it's because people just don't care. They started going back out and they're like, they're starting to open up schools and stuff when it's like, obviously we're not ready to do that. So it's definitely so i already had covid a few months ago um i got it in like i got it on my birthday actually july 26th oh no um, <laughs> that's and i was exposed and i was being super careful before that and i saw a friend of mine um and a couple of days later he told me his wife had it and i was like well i feel fine and then a few days after that i had a crazy fever um and got tested and i tested positive so now being immune for a little bit, I am fortunate enough to be able to go to a grocery store or to go like right now I can go to the gym 
which is crazy to me. Um, and before that I couldn't, I, I wasn't going anywhere to gas stations or anything. I was like staying in the house no matter what. So while Florida is a mess and the U S is a mess, I feel very fortunate that at least for a, from what I understand for, for four months or so you are immune or you should be immune. So, um, I'm still trying to be obviously scaled back in terms of what I do. Like I haven't been at church in forever, but it's, I feel lucky to have already gotten through it so that at least for a few months I can try to be outside of my apartment before. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what the deal is about immunity. It might wear off at a certain point or I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know that from what I understand, um, there's like a guaranteed or quote guaranteed because we're learning every day like few month period where you should be fine. So I am trying to make the most of that. I really hope things get better soon so you can go back to, you know, gigging with your band. And all oh, I miss I going to gigs so wait. much. Oh. My last time was in February when we went to a gig. That was our last gig. Black and Pumas. We... Do you know that band, by the way? Black Pumas? Mm -mm. Well, really, really cool. Really, really cool nice. band. Um, but yeah, we're, we're big, big fans of just being able to, you know, just feel that energy oh, yeah. from you know live music and yeah but i really miss that but hopefully by next year it's all going to be good it's all gonna, things will be um, better everywhere i hope mm. i don't know it's gonna keep <laughs> me too have a vaccine soon i don't know if i'm taking that vaccine i think they rushed it too much <laughs> i don't know i'm afraid i'm afraid of like side effects in 10 years and stuff like that <laughs> have you we'll been feeling like any um like side effects after having covid because i think if yeah there's been like a lot of uh, even a few of our friends have been you know i guess having a few we probably had it for sure but we don't even uh, to be honest i had no symptoms at all because some people have no symptoms at all so mm. and diego's a nurse he, he works yeah, in intensive in care in intensive care i was in there like working with covid patients wow. for months like literally inside the, the thing it's like i find it almost impossible that i didn't get the, the yeah the virus like considering how messy it was like the the absolute chaos that it turned uh into is like i would be shocked if i didn't get infected yeah. somehow yeah so i didn't feel anything in terms and of lingering side effects i don't really think i got really lucky so i have asthma which made me technically high risk, risk. and i i have a fairly um underdeveloped immune system because of having ocd for so long I like insulated myself from as many germs as possible for years on end. So um, I was, I was fairly worried about getting COVID, but my whole experience was like, you know, my first few days were miserable. Um, but then it turned into like a cold or, or flu for the rest of the time um, for like another couple of weeks. Uh, but I had a really lucky go of it. The only thing that really lasted was I was, I did lose a little bit of weight. And I was really weak, um, like super fatigued. Like I couldn't, it, it was incredible how weak my body was. And I think it's just because your body's fighting mm. an illness. So it used up all yeah. its energy. But um, other than fatigue, I don't really have any lasting. I, I consider myself extremely fortunate in that respect. Oh. We're glad, you know, we're glad. They went well because obviously some people are struggling, mm -hmm. having like long term effects, joint uh, pain, and things like that. It's mm -hmm. uh, respiratory issues, loss of taste, and yeah, yeah. oh, that 
that was for about a month. That was. Oh yeah. You lost taste. Yeah. Everything. Well, I didn't lose taste. Everything tasted rotten and metallic. It was everything tasted bad, like salad, uh, water, everything tasted like it was spoiled. It's super gross. That's like the worst. That's worse than the fever. Because I thought it was just like you lost the taste, which is, I mean, still very hard in itself, especially being a big like food lover. But I don't know. um, It tasting (laughs) rotten isn't great at all. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, I think. Is there there anything else that you'd like to ask Johnny or um, anything you can remember? We're open books. (laughs) Um, All I'd want to say just at the very end is if there's anyone listening who is maybe thinking that mental health doesn't really apply to them or it's not really important in their life and maybe it's more of a conversation for somebody else or one of their loved ones, I just want to challenge that. Um, I, with all due respect, I think that you are very wrong if you are thinking that. And I try to never say such definitive statements, but like I say in my Ted talk, like if you have a brain, you can't say that mental health doesn't apply to you. Like this is affecting your everyday life, whether you have a diagnosis or not, whether you feel like a million bucks every day, whether you're down in the dumps, whatever, like there is nobody, there's no human on this planet who does not have to take care of their mental and emotional health. And the last thing I'll say is this. there are I've met people who say, oh, I'm really good. So I don't really need to care about my, my mental health. I'm actually good. And to me, it's kind of like saying, oh yeah, my teeth are so white that I don't even brush them anymore. <laughs> I don't even do it. I don't need my <laughs> teeth are super white. It's like you would never, ever say that. That's like, that is so ridiculous to us to hear and it's the same same is true for the for your brain you can never say oh i'm so healthy that i don't need to be conscious of my mental health it's it's just not true so with all due respect please check out cope notes check out my ted talk keep listening to shows like this keep talking to your friends about mental and emotional health keep trying new mental health books and resources and apps and keep reading because the the you will never make a poor investment into your brain. No penny or second that you invest into the thing that controls your entire life will ever be wasted. I promise you that. Wow. I don't think there's any better way to end that. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Johnny. And thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I'm really excited to... Share get this. this out and I think it's something a lot of people will really need to hear especially in such a hard time like this I think it's um it's really important thanks <laughs> for having me I'll talk to you guys soon <laughs>